It's good to see everyone and uh, some guests, visitors, neighbors. This morning, we'll be spending time thinking a lot about the church's mission as a byproduct of Paul's, uh, what he's talking about in Romans 15. Uh, Because of, uh, we're just going to take an overview look at this scripture and see what God reveals uh, to us. And again, I want to remind you that God has always had a redemptive plan to gather believers, gather His people together. You know, we talked about in Genesis 1, it's always been God's plan for us to go and multiply around the world and to subdue the world and to be a part and enjoy God's creation. Of course, we mess that up uh, through Adam and through the rest of us as we've sinned. Sin entered the world, causing great pain and frustration and sorrow and death. But yet, we have a Savior in Christ. You know, in Genesis 12, it's interesting. God told Abraham that in you, all the families of the world shall be blessed. God's scope for the mission of church and missions worldwide was always to gather up his people, and to bless the world through salvation, through God's gift. So the mission of the church has always been, from the very beginning, always about the gospel. It's always been about God. It's always been about what He wants to do in redeeming His people. And so it's, it's really interesting. So as we talk about the mission culture, what is doing God's mission in church? How does it affect our culture? How does it affect us? And in a church that's focused on Christ, because that's important, because missions can affect the culture of a church differently if it's not centered on Christ, if it's just about feelings and emotions and and desires and what we want to do together. But when it comes to being focused on Christ, we'll see that it changes our thoughts, our perspective. It gives us energy, it gives us food to be nourished and to keep on going. So this morning, just to remind us as we look at this, is that we saw the last four, the last four weeks that first and foremost, and by way of introduction, that God's mission, His mandate for the church is to model Christ, to make disciples of all the nations. He said in Matthew 28. The other thing was, was to acknowledge Christ. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means to be set apart into a new family when when you're adopted, you, you get a new name, right? We, we take on the name. We're acknowledging Christ, and we take on his name. That's what the whole idea behind Christian meant in the beginning. Now, Christian means many things today in our society, but the idea was to acknowledge Christ, to take up his name, to follow him by acknowledging him. The other aspect of our mandate is to obey Christ, to obey Christ individually, but also to, as we disciple people, as we train people and tell people about who God is, is to teach them to observe all that we have commanded, that Christ has commanded, that God has commanded. That's a big task. We know that it's a really hard task. It's not an easy task, but that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. It's an impossible task without God to obey Him. But it's interesting, if you see Scripture, when we obey Him and keep His commandments, when we submit our lives to Him, 
life becomes different. Circumstances no longer dictate your joy. Circumstances no longer dictate your peace. And you find in that act of submission, you have a relationship with the Lord. It's not about rules. It's not about trying to be good. We enjoy God's good through obedience and submitting to the Lord and learning to do that, to observe that, we enjoy that full relationship with the Lord. What's interesting, he says this at the end of Matthew 20, he says, behold, look at this encouragement, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Isn't that encouraging to know that in this command that he tells us to do as a church, that this is our mission, this is what we're to do, he says, oh, by the way, I am going to be there as you take these steps. Don't be discouraged when you say, man, this is, there's one of these things, whether we model Christ, we do what Christ did, and we acknowledge Christ, and as we obey Christ, and, and these things, and you say, man, one of these things is really difficult for me. Just remember, as you take a step of obedience to do these things, Jesus is there with you all the way to the end of the age. I pray that that would encourage you this morning as we look at this. The other thing I want you to, to note is it's interesting is, is I want you to note that, you know, in Romans chapter 1 all the way through chapter 11, it's all about the gospel. Everything we ever need to know about the gospel is in those first 11 chapters. Paul is doing everything to help the church to remember what the gospel is. And then in chapters 12 through 14, he is going through and he's basically helping the reader to realize what is the result of this new life, the gospel. What is what Christ did on the cross for us when we, when we call out to the Lord and he saves us. When God does that work of saving you, that in chapters 12 through 14, this is what your new life looks like. If you want to know what does a new life in the Lord look like, read chapters 12 through 14. This is how we ought to be. It's very encouraging. And now Paul is going and he's saying, now I want to remind you what your mission is all about. You know what's interesting? When people talk about missions, and they talk about, the first thing you think about is some guy around the world in Africa, you know, talking to a bunch of natives. But that's not missions. Missions is what the church does. Whether it does it here, whether it does it in Canada, or whether it does it in, in, in Africa, in Asia, in Israel, wherever you go, he says, that is what our mission is. So it's not about a location, it's about what the church family is supposed to do. And he's going to remind the Roman church. What's interesting is, you know, chapter 15 is one of the largest section of verses that talks and explains and talks about missions. But everybody goes to Matthew 28 when you talk about missions. But this is a more expansive, and we don't have time to go into all 
everything that's there. There's so much here, but we're going to read it in verses 14 through 32, and then we're going to go through and look at some of the insights about a Christ-centered, missions-driven church, because this is what Paul is desiring for the church in Rome. So would you pray with me as we prepare to read God's Word together? Lord, I pray that as we read this section of your Word, that you will give, give us great insight. Help us to understand, to glean, to find great joy in the purposes that you have put down before us. May, you, uh, may the Holy Spirit give us great insight, direction. May we love you more. May we see your desire for us. And may we be encouraged to obey and to follow and to follow what you have given to us this morning. May you remove the distractions of our lives and the busyness and the things that need to take place later on today or tomorrow or this week. And may we find joy in just knowing more about you. And we just praise you for the word that we are going to read in Jesus' name. Amen. I love Julia is back there having great joy in our service this morning. I love it when she sits there and she makes eye contact with me and then laughs. So it's good to laugh at the preacher. So <laughs> I love it because it's just, it's family. It's, all, it's, it's family noise together. Well, let's read God's holy word. Romans 15, verses 14, as he gives, Paul gives direction to the Roman church in his letter to the church of Rome and may it give us insight into our church this morning. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you. That's a good word, right? As we, wouldn't you like uh, every, somebody to call you up or give you a letter and says, I'm satisfied with everything about you? That's a great way to start a letter, isn't it? And he says, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Now, by way of context, he's talking about knowledge of God. He's talking about instructing people in Scripture. He's talking about that they have the Lord and they are being fruitful in the things of the Lord. But verse 15, he says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by, the, by, wor- by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders and by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Elysium, uh, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation, But as is written, those who have never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. 
This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessing, they ought to also be uh, be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered it to them, what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints." so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. There's a lot to glean in here. And we want to look at this idea of the mission culture from within our church. How do we develop a mission culture? How do we maintain a mission culture? But most importantly, how do we keep it centered on the most important thing, and that is Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul gives us a great example in this text, and the first thing that we see that we glean from this text is that our ministry needs the right purpose. Our ministry needs the right purpose. He states this over and over and over again. Did you notice that he said it was because of the grace that was given to me? That his purpose in ministry was because of the graciousness of God. It was God-given. Not only that, but it was his, his right and his purpose to deliver the gospel to people. Later on in verse 16 and 17, he says, It's in Christ Jesus. And he says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except that of Christ. Our ministry, in order to have a mission culture that's Christ-centered in the church, it has to have the right purpose, and the right purpose is to acknowledge Christ, to be about the gospel. There, are, there, are, are, there were competent and functioning Christians in Rome. They were, did you notice that he was pleased with them? He said, you're you're following, you're making disciples, your, your knowledge of God is growing, and, and all of these, they were very competent and they were functioning. And he says, but I need to remind you of the gospel. You know, sometimes when the church begins to grow and we start to focus and little by little, we begin to focus on each other and we lose that primary mission focus of the church and we forget about the daily aspect of the gospel and the good news of Christ's work in our life. 
the gospel. And Paul's reminding them to live the Christian life in light of the gospel. That as you go make disciples and as you do these things, that your primary purpose is the gospel. And so it is for the church that our aim should be to preach the gospel and make disciples. Our, in order to have a mission focus and a mission church, we need to be continually preaching the gospel. We talked about that and we shared the example that, that we talked about how Pastor Ralph, his idea of preaching the gospel is whenever he goes to the hospital or whenever he's in the, in the ambulance, he just looks up and says, where are you going? Right? That's one way he does it. I never do it that way. I have to work at it. All of us are different. The purpose in church needs to mean focused on the same thing, but all of us, God created differently, and we share the gospel in different ways. For me, I ask a lot of questions. And because it's the, the purpose of the church is to preach the gospel, I do things intentionally that people will ask questions, or I'll ask questions, and, and I just get to know people. And as I do, I do it differently. I'm not very successful in the way that Pastor Ralph does it. I don't say, oh, look, there's a person and go share the gospel. I have to make it a focus or purpose in my life. By the way, in verses 14 through 24 or 21, I want you to see that as Paul is is bringing the, and saying that the purpose of the church is the gospel, and don't forget to preach the gospel, and that's what his responsibility to do is. I want you to realize that it's the aim of the church to preach the gospel. Digging wells and building houses and providing medical care for people, that's good stuff, but that's not the primary mission of the church. I'm not saying that it's bad things to do, but today it, we see that a lot of times. People go and they do missions or they do things and it's focused on a lot of social elevation that, oh, if we're going to do missions, we need to elevate these people. One of the things when we went to Mexico many, many times is, is I would try to get the kids to see is, is that when we went there, that our goal was not to elevate them socially and to make their, their life more comfortable, but I wanted them to see that they, it was amazing how many people that didn't have anything were satisfied and they were in love with the Lord. They didn't need any status or elevation to enjoy and to love God. They just needed the gospel. What is interesting is, uh, one of the preachers that I really love to listen to is Vodi Bakum, and he he is serving. Uh, he's been uh, had a heart attack and had some major heart issues, but he serves and he trains pastors in Uganda and Z- in Zimbabwe area, and he serves down there faithfully. Faithful, amazing man of God, and he was sharing. He says he says, look, as he's preaching to a bunch of uh, African pastors, he's like. You guys are equipped to do everything that God needs you to do. Don't be like America. America is not 
the mission of the church. It's not to have this social status. You're more than equipped to do the ministry of God. And, and it's funny, he says a lot of places look to America and the greatness and all that we have, and they say, we need to be more like that. And that's not true. In fact, Vody went on to say, he says, the reason and success, the initial success for Europe, the initial success for America is because of the gospel. And if you look at, I mean, and it was funny, he goes, yeah, you just think about Europe. Europe used to paint themselves and eat each other. He says, uh, Europe was a mess and they were in the dark ages and then the gospel came. And you look during the Enlightenment period and looked how the gospel flourished. And so as he trains pastors, he says, look, it's not about status. It's not about any of these things. It's about preaching the gospel. And what's amazing is is the more that the gospel is preached, the more that things change in people's lives. The more freedoms they have, the more that the, the houses come, the cars come, the medical care comes, life gets better. Not, that's not our mission is to make people's lives better. It's our mission to share the gospel and for people to be adopted into the family of God. Paul is going on to say that his primary concern is not to elevate people's standard. His primary concern is to preach the gospel. If we're to, to do missions in the church and to be missions-minded, to have a missions culture, we have to preach the gospel. Biblically, the church's mission is not about changing environment, but transforming hearts. We need to transform hearts. Those of you that have done different addiction things and, and, and have been about and we know about counseling and stuff, the more that the heart changes the more the environment changes. The more that the heart desires to love God. That's what the gospel does. It changes our heart. That's why Jesus said, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flows is the issues of life. He said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also if we treasure Christ. That's what preaching the gospel is, is treasuring Christ in God. The heart changes, and as the heart changes, so does the environment. He indicated that his ministry is only by God's grace. It changes the humility and service of the heart. In verse 16, he's, you see an act of humility in Paul's discussion with the Roman church. He's saying, look, it's all about humility. You know, Romans is all about how God uses the gospel in people's lives and how it should change our life and how the gospel affects our life. And you say, then what happened to the Roman church? Because it's not very humble anymore. I'm talking about the Roman Catholic church. It's greatly different. It's no longer about the gospel. The ministry needs the right purpose. Paul's purpose remained the same, to preach the gospel despite the fact that his location in ministry is about to change. Did you notice that? He says, my ministry, I've done everything I can in this area. By the way, the area that he describes is Jerusalem, 
all the way up through Syria, all the way up to the borders of Germany. He says, my whole work in this whole area through Asia Minor and, and all the way up to the, the border of Germany, all of that is done. I've done everything that I need to do. So now I'm going to look to Spain. And by way of Spain, I hope to come to you. So you notice that even though that his ministry location is changing, his purpose still remains the same. In your life, things may change. You know, your location, your house may change. Your job may change. Things in church may change. But did you notice that the purpose still remains the same? His ambition is to preach the gospel. And verse 20, it's very interesting. He says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation. He's saying, I'm going to go look for opportunities to preach the gospel. And I, my purpose is not to go and get other believers that somebody else has preached to, but I'm going to go look for those who don't even believe. You know, it's funny. One time we, we did it, you know, in youth group, Jim and Lyle will, will relate. In youth group, sometimes you do silly things. Like say, if you bring this many people, I'll shave my head. Right? So uh, some of you will have problems with that. But, <laughs> so we said, and if you, if you bring the most people, then I'll shave my head. And then, if you, and then the second most people, you know, that you can shave my, my leg hair off. It, this all was a, was a youth group leaders come up with some of the dumbest things. I, I did this, and I, I have a problem with some of my hair growing back since certain people that will remain unnamed shaved my head. But uh, same with my leg hair. I, they, they burned my leg to the point where it doesn't grow anymore. All that to be said, we do stupid things sometimes to gather people. We think gathering people is the most important thing. You know what I found out? That most of these people that the kids were supposed to invite from their school, guess what? What do you think? Do you think that they were believers or unbelievers? Most of them, 90% of the kids that came to the event, we had 120 show up for the event. It was big. Youth group at the time was only about 30 people. So 120 is huge, from 30 to 120. Wow, that's so successful. Right, we got 120 people at this evangelistic event. It's awesome. 90% went to other churches. Right, And Paul is saying, I'm not going after other believers. I'm going to go preach the gospel to people who don't know the Lord. So that was our thing. I said, you can't count the next year. You, you have to bring people that don't go to church. Otherwise, if they come from other churches, they don't count. Right? That was Paul's emphasis here. There's the other thing that we learn about the insight of ministry and missions at our church is that the ministry needs planning. It needs planning. He says, this reason I've come, you know, I've been hindered up to this point, but now my work is done. He's been hindered by finishing all of his work. Paul finds himself at a point of a transition of work in Jerusalem around Elysium. uh, It's all coming to an end. And now he knows that his time to go to Rome is coming. 
Verse 26, he says, but I, he, his eagerness is tempered by responsibility. As we think about ministry needs planning, when we do missions and we go out and we share the gospel and we do things for God, we also need to remember that it needs to be tempered by responsibility. Paul was responsible. If you look at verse 26, you see that he was going around collecting offering to meet the needs of the saints at the church in Jerusalem. If you don't remember, the church in Jerusalem, Peter preached at the Pentecost and over 5,000 people came to the church. How would that be if all of a sudden 5,000 people showed up at church next week? Because I went down to Pioneer Square and started preaching out loud. And 5,000 people came to church and got saved. How many of the, and here's the thing, most of those people were from out of town because they were there for, for, for the um, uh, Passover. They were still, they were out of towners, and now they've come to the Lord, they're added to the church, and they stayed. How many of those people do you think have great needs? How many times do we hear from missionaries that say, all this stuff is happening When Muslims come to know the Lord, guess what happens? They get kicked out of their family. They have no family. So guess who becomes their family? The church. And other cultures around the world, it happens all the time. People get saved, and they have no means to take care of themselves. So Paul has been going around as he builds churches all over Asia Minor and all the way up to Germany. He's been collecting funds. And if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 8 and chapter 9, you'll see that he's upset with the Corinthian church because they're the richest church. They're like a mega church. And guess what they haven't done? They promised to give the most to the church in Jerusalem to take care of the needs. And the Corinthian church hadn't given anything. And so Paul's a little upset with them. And he's saying, look, the church in Macedonia, they're the, they're the, they have no money. They have the least of all the churches. And guess what? The church that had the least, Macedonia and Achaia, they gave the most. And he's saying, look, you guys, if you promise to give, you should give. It's not, it's not about the amount. It's about what you promise to the Lord. And so now he's saying, look, I need to take care of my responsibility before I come to you. Let me say this. If we're going to be a Christ-centered, mission-driven church, take care of your responsibilities that God has given you first before you launch into a a ministry. I've heard many times when people say, oh, I'm called to this. And I ask them, I say, well, what about... What about this ministry that you said you were going to do? Many times we don't take the responsibility. So in ministry needs planning, that means we need to be responsible. We also need to be real with our plans. Paul's like not saying, I'm just going to run right to you. He says, as I plan, I'm planning to go to Spain, so I'm going to stop. And as I stop, I'm hoping that you can help me in my plans to get to Spain. There was a logical extension of his work 
in his plan. So he's responsible in his ministry, but he's also real in his ministry. He's re- That's where Anissa comes into play. She keeps my head out of the clouds and keeps me in the real section rather than the dreaming section. I dream a lot, and I just I plan years down the road. She's like, so what about this? How, are we, how do we get to point A to B to C? Like when we were flying, we flew to you know, to, to Olympia and Olympia to Portland and Portland. To, we didn't actually land, but we were connected with all the points to get to our destination. There's very real, logical things that had to be done. And that's the same thing with ministry planning. It's got to be real. It can't be all dreams. But also, the plans need to be flexible. It needs to be flexible. Paul simply rolled, rolled with God, and, and he said there was obstacles in, in verse 22 and in verse 29. He was confident that God would bring him to Rome. And you guys, anybody remember how, God, how Paul got to Rome? He got to Rome by being arrested, right? And they were going to let him go, and he goes, no, I'm appealing to Caesar. Did you realize that they were going to let him go? Talk about flexibility. How many of you would sign up? This is like Paul. I think this is where uh, Pastor Ralph learned to witness in the ambulance, right? Paul went by way of being arrested and then being going in a ship, getting shipwrecked, living on a desert island, and then being rescued, and then going back to prison in Rome only to die for Christ. That's how he went to the church in Rome. Talk about flex, flexibility, right? Our ministry needs planning. We don't do things, we need, and it needs to be tempered with responsibility. It needs to be real. Plans need to have realism involved, and it needs to demonstrate flexibility. It's like James said, it's, it's, we need to not count our days and say, well, I'm going to do this. We need to say, if God wills. I will do this. If God permit it and he approves of it, I will do it. Our visions, our hope, our timing needs to be open to being continually reshaped by the Lord. Paul gives us the last uh, continued insight as we look here. He gives us this third thing and that our ministry needs continual prayer. It's not how having perfect ministries, perfect programs. It's not about all these things. It's about having our purpose first right so then we can plan correctly and so then that way we can also be in continually pray and prayer. You know what's interesting is if you remember in Acts 14, did you notice notice Paul's continual plan of ministry? His prayer life that's involved, the prayer of the saints. But did you notice the activity? Do you remember when we read and in verses 19 through 23? It went like this. They, they showed up at a city. They shared the gospel. People received Christ. They baptized people. They made disciples. They planted a church. They developed leaders in the church. They continued teaching. They went back and encouraged and strengthened the church. Then they moved on to the next unreached people. You notice the, the purpose 
in the planning. And now we see the prayer in verse Verse 30, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayer. Do you see the two verbs there? I appeal. There's an appeal. I beseech you. I appeal to you. Pray with me. When you hear missionaries like Benjamin and Ella that are here, home, they're here with us, that are going out to just do church, missions work in another continent to do what they're doing now here to preach the gospel to to strengthen the believers but look at what paul is saying to strive he appeals and then he says strive again referring back to when donald gave us our family time gathering like we're around the table you know, announcements is not really announcements. It's more like family time. When you gather around the table and you say, what did you do today? What's going on next week? Do you have any plans? And he said, he pulled out and he pulled out the prayer sheet and he said, are you using this and praying? How many of us use the prayer sheet daily, weekly? There's prayer requests for the church, the church body, family of church members, uh, missionaries. Paul says, I appeal to you. I'm calling you. Would you please strive with me as I pray? Would you pray? Our ministry needs continual prayer. By the way, Paul's wording here in verses 30 through 33 is literally saying, As you strive with me, you are doing the ministry with me. Some of you would say, you know, I can never come up and play music. Or some of you may say, I could never come over and sing. And because of that, you never, you know, you're not going to come up and join the, the team that helps to do worship and honor and glorify the Lord. You say, I can't do that. I can't. I can't sing. And I will not try to sing. I don't know what note I'll start on or finish on. But I know that I can pray for them. They get sick. Sometimes they can't sing. Sometimes they hurt their fingers and they can't. I remember I, I split my finger one time and I was trying to play the guitar. You can't push down those strings with a split finger. It just hurts. It's painful. So I know when Raul hurts his hand, he's always, can I play the guitar? (laughs) Are you praying for other people's ministry? Because when you do, you partake in it. Some of you are like, I, there's no way that I can sit there and teach those kids. They drive me crazy, right? I'm going to wait until they can actually say full sentences. Then I'm going to spend time with them, right? But you can pray for those that teach them. When you do, you're entering into the ministry with them. Do you pray for me? You should. If you followed me every week, you'd see I need a lot of prayer. And if you don't want to follow me, just go talk to my wife, and she will look at you and laugh and say, pray for him. (laughs) We need prayer. 
I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm appealing to you. Have a relationship with God by talking with Him. Everything by Philippians 4. If we're truly going to rejoice in the Lord, He says everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Do you, are you thankful for the church body? If you look at it long enough and you participate with it long enough, you're going to find things to be thankful for. Supplication means to asking prayer for the needs of people. Are you spending time praying for others? It's neat. In here, we see three things. I didn't put it in the notes, but there's three things that you can pray for. Did you notice? He says, I appeal to you, strive to pray with me to God on my behalf. One, verse 31, that I may be delivered. As we look at different ministries, we look at different mission things and ministries of the church and missions around the world, we can pray for one another to be delivered from the enemy and opposition. Those that don't believe that would, just like Paul experienced in Lystra and Derby when the Jews and the unbelieving Gentiles came and tried to kill him. He was under personal physical attack. But some of us are just under spiritual attack. We're, you're feeling it. We need to be praying for deliverance for each other from opposition. It's real. Our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against those that are fighting against God. The other thing we see here in verse 31 is that we pray for the basic needs and effective, fruitful ministry and open doors to the gospel. Verse 31 through 32, we see, pray for the open door for the gospel. Pray for the basic needs, getting from point A to point B. Pray for me as I come to you that I may be able to continue the ministry. Paul, again, the third thing is is that Paul prayed in verse 32 that he would come to them. Paul asked them to pray that he'd be able to come to them. God, Paul is saying, pray that it would be God's will. Do you pray for just that whatever we desire? I I desire that Benjamin and Ella get there this year and that they have all their funds. I desire that especially after flying with them. That was a joy. I loved it. It's like, all right, let's get them there. But you know what's more important than just getting them there? Is getting them there in God, under God's will, in God's will, in God's timing, so that they'll be ready to pursue whatever God gives them. Do we pray that way? May our prayers be for one another, as we reflect and respond as we close, look at these two things. We personally, this is a personal thing, by the way, we keep our personal mission and the purpose of that mission, the gospel, we keep it by standing on these things, modeling Christ, by making plans to see people acknowledge Christ, and to see people learning to obey Christ. We keep our personal mission and the purpose of the gospel by standing on modeling Christ. 
seeing people acknowledge Christ, and then learning to obey Christ. Is that your desire? Is that your plans? That's how we stay mission-focused. That's how we, su- we learn to support missionaries better, because we are missionaries. And we know how to pray for them because we're praying for each other. We know, we know what they're going through because we're going through it here by doing mission work. The other thing, uh, keep pray, prayer important. Are you praying? Keep it important. Paul said to the Thessalonian church, pray without ceasing. Sometimes it's good. I... Um, we live in a house that every, a couple of my ladies, they set, like, they have 40 alarms set on their phone. They have an alarm for everything. But one of the things that I learned is, is that it's fun to set those alarms that pop up and you can name them. Pray for that missionary. Pray for the children's ministry at church. Pray for those who teach the children. Pray for, pray for those that talk to people in the parking lot that help people. Pray for each one of us to share the gospel. Pray for each one of us to, to, know, to learn more about God, that we can be encouraged and be built up in the Lord. You can name your alarms on your phone, different things. You can take the prayer requests and even put them on your phone. And when the alarm goes off, you can go and you say, I'm going to pray. That's planning. You can also be flexible. Right? It's real planning. And to, so that way we're purposeful in pursuing the gospel in the church and then outside the church. Reflect and how are you going to respond? Will you respond to make it personal in your life? And will you keep prayer important this morning? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this gospel that we preach Christ, Christ crucified for our sins. We are not good. We cannot be good. We cannot go to church to be good. We cannot read your word and be good. We are good because you died on the cross for our sins. You took our sins. And in return, when you died and when you rose again and you conquered death, Because you are the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. You are exactly what God demands to be good. And you took our sin and you gave us your goodness, your righteousness, your right living. And you gave that to us that we might be seen as righteous in God's eyes. Lord, today, if there's anyone here that has been trying to be good and live a good life but, and not realizing that they need to call upon the Lord and be saved, to say that I need Jesus, His work on the cross, you have told us that it's not by our work. It's by faith. It's by saying, I trust in your work in my life. Faith is not just simply knowing about you, Lord, I pray that there are those that are here that have just said, yeah, I know you, and, I, and, you're, and it's good. And, but, Lord, that they would just stop looking at you and saying you're good and enter into this relationship with you. And, Lord, that they would love you with all their heart and soul, mind, and strength. That you would become their treasure. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would I pray if somebody that's been listening on live stream, maybe there's life's a wreck, that, Lord, you'd bless them and realize that this, this gospel that saved them is continuing every day to bless them and that it would be the purpose in which they live their life, that it would be because of Christ, not because of our circumstances, that no matter what came in Paul's life, no matter how hard it was, the purpose still stayed the same, to preach the gospel and make disciples. Lord, I pray that if someone needs you this morning, they call to you and that you would save them. It's very simple. It's a great transition of giving up our life and accepting your life, submitting to you, realizing that I've sinned, that we're sinners, that we're not good, and we need you to become the righteousness that you demand as a holy God. Thank you for providing that perfect path to you to be saved from our sins. So, Lord, I pray that you would save someone here today. Bless us, encourage us through the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.